0: To delve into a topic about which many of you have questions. We're going to discuss rashes in young children and babies. Specifically, why do babies and young children seem to have sensitive skin? Why might your child be more prone to rashes than you are? Why do they get rashes when they are wearing a diaper, for instance? When you wear underwear, you don't get rash from wearing underwear. If you wear a diaper for whatever reason, you might not get a rash either. Yet your child might develop a diaper rash. How come? Is it all your fault? Of course not. But I want to give you the reason why it's not. Then I also want to discuss what to do with these rashes or what to do with the sensitive skin. In the end, I'm going to end with a special treat. I'm having my first guest on the show and she's a dermatologist. Hi, I'm Dr. Evka, the mom at the playgroup who's in charge of the food and the lecture series. Empowering other mothers when something seems off with their children. Sharing mindset work when it comes to motherhood, medicine made understandable, and mastery of your child and who that child is when they have food intolerances, feeding challenges, or other of your concerns. You've heard that I'm a family doctor, a feeding physician, a life coach, a nutritionist, and a best-selling author. But if you ask me, I will tell you. I'm another mom just like you. And I'm your friend. Just remember that this information is being shared for educational purposes only in some of its opinion-based. If you have a specific medical concerns,
1: please see your regular doctor. That's not me.
0: Thus, over this episode, not only will I talk about rashes, but I will also bring on the skin doctor, a dermatologist to discuss them. The topic of skin rashes is important to me for several reasons. First, if your child has food allergies, chances are that they also have rashes. Not always, but often enough. Second, if your child has challenges around food or picky eating, what might they be doing instead of eating their food? How about putting it in their mouths, moving it from side to side, spitting it out, and drooling, if you can even get it into their mouths. Third, what if your child has a feeding tube? Children with G-tubes often develop rashes around the side of the tube. Fourth, there's some stigma associated with rashes. Even a common diaper rash can bring fear to the eyes of some parents. And they'll explain how. In medical school, I was taught that it was my duty to report any suspected cases of child abuse. If I did not report them, then I could be held medically li- liable, especially if something happened to the child. If I suspected child abuse, did not report it, and the child eventually died or has some tragic injury, I could be held partially responsible. The professors would tell us, You must report, you must report. You see this or that symptom and you must report or else. The professor would go through a list of symptoms that could potentially signify child abuse. One of those symptoms was a diaper rash. Yes, a diaper rash. If you're anything like the mom version of me, then your child developed their diaper rash at some point. The thought of you being reported to Child Protective Services for your child having a diaper rash seems crazy. It's crazy talk, people. If you are anything like the doctor version of me, then you have seen tons of children with diaper rashes, and you likely haven't reported a single child with a diaper rash. Quite honestly, I do not think that a doctor is going to report a parent to Child Protective Services, If their child has a diaper rash, it would have to look very suspicious. As doctors, we're pretty sure that our professors told us in medical school that the rash has to look very suspicious for child abuse to be calling the patient for us to make a report. The rash has to look very suspicious, like really suspicious. What would a very suspicious diaper rash look like? It would be one that is accompanied by other signs of parental neglect. For instance, little John goes to daycare, and at daycare, the staff notices severe diaper rash. They call mom and ask her, Can we put a special cream around your child's buttocks to help prevent the diaper rash from getting any worse? Mom answers, Sure! With daily treatment with the cream at daycare, the rash goes away. It comes back again after Little John takes a break from daycare. It gets treated again at daycare. Then Little John again doesn't go to daycare and the rash comes back. To the person at daycare, it appears that the only place where Little John's diaper rash is treated is at daycare. The daycare starts to wonder, "Mm, Is the mom not taking care of her child? They might call Child Protective Services for parental neglect. This was a situation where Cream almost resolved the diaper rash. And once the Cream... Seem to have been stopped, the diaper rash came back. Then again, in this situation, the daycare might be more likely to call child protective services than a physician. We tend to really like and believe our patients. By the way, shameless plug here my book, The FI's Handbook, has a whole chapter dedicated to child protective services. Yet, what if the cream did not treat the diaper rash? What if the daycare put the cream on a little jar and nothing happened? What if he continued to have a diaper rash? What now? Perhaps not all diaper rashes are due to excessive moisture in the diaper area, increased pH, friction, and chemical irritation of the skin inside the diaper from urine and stool. Perhaps not all diaper rashes are due to diarrhea that is more likely to happen if a young child has food allergies. There are multiple medical conditions that might mimic a diaper rash. I'll give you a list of the five medical conditions that look like diaper rash. But are not. Number one, psoriasis. This can be hard to diagnose and common in babies since most people who get psoriasis are teenagers or adults. Psoriasis consists of red, scaly patches on the skin. But in a baby, it might show up as red, non scaly rashes around the folds in the groin area. Babies with psoriasis might also develop scaly red rashes on the scalp which are not to be confused with the interim or cradle cap. Number two, the second condition that might mimic a diaper rash is Langerhans cell histocytosis. This condition is rare. The rare baby who has Langerhans cell histocytosis develops scaly red pimples in skin folds. I think it's more common to mispronounce Langerhans cell histocytosis than it is to get the condition. Number three, biotin deficiency, which is otherwise known as deficiency of vitamin B1 or vitamin H. Testing for this might be part of newborn screening, and it's rare for babies to have a biotin deficiency. If they have one, a diaper rash is usually not the only symptom. They might have hair loss, trouble breathing, seizures, and weak muscle tone. Number four, infection due to yeast candida. This condition is different from a regular diaper rash. First, it doesn't respond to the standard skin barrier creams used to treat a diaper rash. And later on in this episode, I'm going to give you some of the uh, treatment options. Anyway, the candida rash, the yeast rash, can have additional spots outside of the border of the main rash. But really, it's been a while and the diaper rash isn't getting better with the standard diaper creams. This is a condition to consider. It's more common than the other ones. Number five, diaper dyes and fragrances to which the child has an allergy or sensitivity. Yes, a baby can have sensitive skin, and that skin can have an allergy to chemicals found in some diapers or an irritation and intolerance tolerance of some of these chemicals. And I'll discuss that later as well. Stay tuned to the rest of the episode. Okay, you got five different medical conditions that aren't your regular diaper rash. Each of these medical conditions requires different treatment, not just use of the cream that helps a diaper rash that tends to go away on its own. If you're not sure if your child has one of these other conditions, make sure to see your child's doctor. I'm sure that many of them have seen quite a number of babies or young children with rashes or sensitive skin. This brings me up to my next question. Why do babies get so many rashes? What do these rashes say about food allergies, food intolerances, and other chemical intolerances? We'll discuss this later on in this episode. Time for a commercial interruption. You can reach out to me at Feeding Handbook on Instagram. And you will then have a chance to talk to me through a DM. I've started posting every day. And that's another way that you can reach me through the Feeding Handbook on Instagram. I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. Why do babies have so many rashes? Why does baby skin appear to be so sensitive. Why, 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 why? Perhaps you are asking yourself these questions because you feel like it might be your fault. You might feel like it's something that you're doing or not doing, and the end result is a series of rashes in your child. Well, guess what? All of you who are feeling all this guilt about being the cause of your child's rashes, I'm here to tell you that it's not your fault that your baby has way more rashes than you might. It's science. In other words, it's not your fault that babies are prone to rashes and that they have sensitive skin. Hello, science! Let's share some surprising facts about baby skin. First, baby skin can be super thin, and it can take months for the skin to thicken. Let me give you a visualization of what I mean by thin skin. Think of skin as paper. Your baby has tissue paper, while your thick construction paper is on your skin, You have thick construction paper skin. Now put that paper up to your eyes in a brightly lit room and see what you can see on the other side. If you look through thick construction paper, you might just see the paper, nothing more. The construction paper, which represents your thick skin, makes it hard for items to pass through it. It's thick. Now compare that construction paper to tissue paper. The tissue paper represents your baby's skin. If you're looking through tissue paper, you might see things on the other side. Light goes through the tissue paper. You can see what's on the other side. This thin tissue paper represents your baby's skin. What's on the outside of the skin is more likely to get through to the other side. Does that mean that substances on the outside of skin are more likely to get to the fat, tissue, and blood vessels on the other side? Yes. Now let's think about this in terms of all the chemicals around us. What happens if chemicals go from the outside of the skin into the body? Could they lead to the baby's body mounting some kind of response to these chemicals? Yes. That diaper rash? What contributed to it? How about chemicals in urine feces moving from the outside of skin and going through layers of skin? In other words, these chemicals can get into the body and then the body mounts a response. A rash. Second, baby skin can be more easily macerated. Think of it this way. If you were to spend hours upon hours cleaning your dishes, not only will you be spending a lot of time in your kitchen, but your hands will likely look lighter in color and more wrinkly. Now, if you rub that skin repeatedly with a coarse, rough sponge, your hands might get cuts in them. They might be microscopic cuts. You might not be able to see them, but you'll get little cuts in your hands. They will get irritated from all that rubbing. Now, think about this in terms of what happens to your baby. Your baby does not have to spend hours and upon hours washing the dishes. Baby skin might need to spend only a few minutes around moisture, and they might already get that lighter in color, more wrinkly skin. If something rubs along that skin, like a diaper, for instance, then that skin could get microscopic cuts in it or get irritated. Third, more mature skin is more acidic than baby skin. It has more acid in it. In Latin, the word acidus means sour or sharp. In other words, our adult skin tastes more like vinegar. Now don't go about trying to eat the skin off your hands or your arms, it's going to hurt. Don't do it. But if you were to eat your skin, you would notice that it tastes a little bit like vinegar. It's sour. And guess what doesn't taste as vinegary? Baby skin. Baby skin is not as sour. It's not as acidic. Now don't go ahead and eat your baby skin. I probably wouldn't do that, right? Like you don't eat baby skin, but if you, oh, normally you don't. But if you were to eat baby skin, Skin, it would not taste as acidic or as sour as ours. Guess what also doesn't like that acidic taste? Bacteria or other microorganisms. If the bacteria or the microorganisms have a choice of our acidic skin as adults or the baby's less so acidic skin, guess which one they would choose. Acidic adult skin creates a thin protective force field around us. Guess who doesn't have as much of a skin barrier? That baby whose skin is not as acidic. Knowing this, please don't blame yourself if your child develops a rash. Acknowledge that babies with rashes are less likely to get rashes as they get older. Also acknowledge that a lot of the reason why babies get rashes has to do with biology. So, how do you protect the baby's precious skin when it's so prone to maceration or when it's so thick? To answer that question, I brought on a dermatologist, a physician qualified to diagnose and treat skin disorders. Not that I all know a lot about rashes myself, but it's good to talk to someone. So let me give you a quick uh, introduction. This is Dr. Stephanie Campbell, and she's gonna talk to you about skin rashes and some of the things that you can do with your child to help with some of the skin rashes. Stephanie, so my first question to you is, if your child's skin is really irritated and inflamed, it might have tiny little cracks in it. Bacteria, other organisms, and chemicals can then enter the body through these tiny little cracks. Skin with tiny little cracks, and it might get really inflamed now. As a parent, you might think of yourself as being on a mission. Your job, if you choose to accept it, is to create a force field around your baby's skin. How do you create a barrier that stops these organisms from going into the body?
1: Normally the pH of the skin is about five to six and usually if you're talking about inflamed skin, it's a little higher than that try to restore the barrier of the skin or the natural acidity of the skin as much as possible. And one way you can do that is after taking a a warm bath, you can drip dry or lightly towel dry your skin and then apply the moisturizer right away.
0: Is there a specific moisturizer that you suggest?
1: One thing... That I recommend often is just plain Vaseline for our ointment-based products. One
0: that I like is called CeraVe Cream. It comes in a tub. Are there any disadvantages to using these products?
1: There, not no, not really. There's always pros and cons to everything, but not. I suppose if it's um, used like too often, it could you could get a rash just from too much occlusion Mm -hmm. but typically it gets wiped off there's not really a lot of side effects to that i've not seen anything published um about any kind of reaction to that it's an an inert substance
0: no i'm just thinking about later on today and eventually it's going to be my child's bedtime and what should i do once the moisturizer is on my skin and it's bedtime
1: Apply the CeraVe cream, and then after that, you can uh, use 100% cotton PJs on top.
0: Okay, cotton pajamas it is. I can go out and buy them, but I want to launder them when I get home. What if my child has allergies? Do I need to know anything about the laundry detergent that I use?
1: Usually laundry detergents have uh, formaldehyde or surfactants, and that's the most common component of laundry uh, detergents that can cause dermatitis. And 2.5% of detergent is actually retained in clothing. When you have an allergy of the skin or somebody with sensitive skin, they can really be irritated with the the surfactant and the laundry detergent that's in the clothes
0: now I don't you're not selling this and you're not working for the company but do you recommend a specific brand of laundry detergent
1: all free and clear is one that is recommended
0: so interesting now let's say that someone goes to the store and can't find this brand what else could they do if they don't want formaldehyde or other surfactants in their clothes a tip
1: in the laundry detergent is actually adding half a cup of non-fat um, powdered milk in with the clothes. Have you heard of that?
0: No, interesting.
1: Okay, huh. so the thought behind that is that casein and milk it binds to and re- removes the formaldehyde um, in the clothing.
0: You're providing so much value to your audience. Thank you. I would w- just wonder about those little children who have significant allergies to milk instance they could touch the casein in milk and have a reaction to that do you know what the alternatives to cassian could be huh, i have to think about that i wonder okay next question i have some of the people who are listening to this podcast have children with skin allergies and let me tell you these allergies can itch do you have any tips for helping with the itching
1: skin issues like atopic dermatitis can cause a lot of itching and that's like a vicious cycle. You have itch and then you scratch and itch and scratch and it just makes everything worse. One natural way you can try to decrease the itch is to add peppermint extract into your moisturizer. That has actually been shown to decrease itch by about 50%.
0: So cool. And I have to tell you that my child loves the taste of peppermint. Now, you might have just shared with me another reason why I should love it. Gosh, I'm sounding like a peppermint infomercial about why you should buy peppermint but I'm not I'm not trying to sell anything how so my next question is how do you mix the pepper extract or the peppermint extract with the skin moisturizer for instance how do you mix the peppermint with the survey moisturizing cream that you recommended and by the way surveys C-E-R-A-V-E, is C-E-R-A-V-E. And you can actually buy
1: just a one ounce bottle of peppermint oil and mix it in with a 16 ounce tub of CeraVe, or you can use a two ounce extract. So a uh, one ounce peppermint oil or two ounce peppermint extract and put that into a 16 ounce CeraVe cream tub. And that creates about 5% strength of the peppermint oil. And that can help with decreasing the itch. People are a little hesitant to apply so much steroid yeah. to the skin, especially out here where I'm located. A lot of people ask about more natural remedies. That could be just an adjunctive way, not like necessarily to replace a steroid, but an adjunct to treating um, itch of the skin.
0: Yeah, like you can visualize what the word is when you're talking about peppermint. When you're dealing with all these chemical compounds, you, you just don't know what kind of side effects you may have with them, but with peppermint extract, you can eat that stuff unless you have an allergy to it. By the way, allergies to peppermint are rare. Given that I have no peppermint allergies, the next time that my skin is itchy, I'm going to try that. Uh, Do you have any last words for people?
1: Uh, A lot of conditions are self-limited, and although it can look scary
0: sometimes with different rashes, but usually it goes away pretty quickly. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? This company called Derm in a Box. I came up with the idea when I was
1: pregnant in training. I had two babies back to back 15 months apart. A lot of doctor friends, colleagues of mine were also pregnant at the time and they were always asking me questions about what can they use on their skin while they're pregnant. There's so much ambiguity in what you can use on your skin that even as I researched all the ingredients i really had to do some digging the FDA does not require the companies to submit the ingredients it's really the responsibility of the um, brand itself to create good products i uh, gradually created the regimen but it's basically a gentle wash and then a vitamin c product hyaluronic acid lots of just good safe to use ingredients i'm excited for it to finally launch and it can be purchased online um, at www.derminabox.net
0: dr steffi campbell and i talked about a lot of other things outside of just doing the podcast i shared with her how i was once mistaken for a grandma at the playground because the other moms there were in their early 20s at least that's like what i like to tell myself I waited until I finished so much schooling to have children. And let me tell you, it takes years and years to become a doctor. For a while, my profession was to have a never-ending student. I imagined what the difference was between me and them, which resulted in them thinking I was a grandma. I thought about how much less shiny my skin was than theirs and how I did not use any products on my skin that would be considered makeup. Uh, to remove the fine wrinkles or to make my skin glow. Maybe I should be using more sunscreen. But anyway, eventually I might try out Dr. Steffi Campbell's products, but this episode is not about selling; It's about providing you with value. That's my hope that it provides you with value, my friends. Also, I learned a bit more about the connection between casein and formaldehyde. There's actually a product called casein formaldehyde, which is a plastic According to this story, which is rumored to be true, a cat knocked over a bottle of formaldehyde in the laboratory, and the formaldehyde landed in the cat's dish of milk. In the morning, the researchers at the lab found out that there was a curled up material in the milk, and the dish of milk, there was this material, this new material, and they were like, what is this? it wound up being a plastic. Basically, casein, one of the main products found in milk that combined with the formaldehyde. When these two items were mixed together, a chemical reaction happened, poof, you got plastic. Interesting, huh? They credit people with making scientific discoveries by cats, huh? Perhaps they too are responsible for some of the plastics, buttons, and jewelry that we have today. In any case, thank you for listening to another episode of the Dr. Evka podcast. I look forward to seeing you again next week for another episode. In the interim, if you like this podcast and you want to see more of it, please rate it. Five stars for good measure. The more ratings it has, the more likely other people are going to be to look at it. So if you want this information to spread, please like and review this episode. All right, I'll talk to you again soon. Take care.